Hello, Pixel Peeps. Welcome to Images Everything with your host, the Pixel Pimp himself, Rav Holly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Image is Everything. This is our very first podcast. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Rav Holly. Glad to have you here, everybody. Uh, going to be talking a little bit about photography today. That's my forte, anyway. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about the age-old question of which is better, Nikon or Canon? Which do you think is better? Hey, it's an age-old debate, so we're going to try to answer that today and uh, see if we can uh, get to the bottom of which is better, which is the better camera brand, which should you buy. Should you buy a Nikon? Should you buy a Canon? That's what everybody wants to know, right? So uh, I'm going to hit some uh, points on uh, both cameras, uh, what I shoot, why I shoot what I shoot, and uh, just give you a little insight on what I think and which camera I think's better. I'm going to let out one of those trade secrets, you know, something that uh, the old pros won't tell you, which camera is actually better, which camera brand is actually better. Are you ready for this? Are you ready? Are you ready for this to actually learn which camera is going to be the best camera? Is it Nikon? Is it Canon? Is it Canon? Is it Nikon? Is it Mike Tyson or is it Holyfield? Is it Holyfield or is it Mike Tyson? Is it Ford? Is it Chevy? Is it Lamborghini or is it Porsche? Which one is it? Okay, well, stay with us because we're going to answer that question right now. Are you ready? Drum roll, please. They're both just about the same. They're right on point with each other, in my opinion. I don't really think uh, Canon's over uh, Nikon or Nikon is over Canon. I think they're both right on par with each other. I think you can't go wrong if you buy either camera body. You're going to be on your way to an amazing photography hobby or career. doesn't matter what you choose. If you want a Nikon, buy a Nikon. If you want a Canon, get a Canon. It's all about preference. It's about all about what you like. Which do you think is the prettier camera? Do you like the name Nikon or do you like the name Canon? Oh, that's the that's it. I mean, that's what it all comes down to is preference. As far as the cameras themselves, they're pretty much right on par with each other. Uh, I mean, there's a little bit of difference in color with the sky and, uh, you know, some things like that with skin tones. I think maybe Canon's a little better, maybe. I don't know. But, I mean, if you're talking skin tones and if you're worried about skin tones, you're probably going to need to get a Hasselblad and start shooting medium format. Hopefully you got 50 or 60 grand to invest in that system. I know I don't, so I just shoot Nikon. All right. But anyway, hope that answered that question. Did it answer the question? I hope it did. All right. Well, I tried to answer the question. But anyway, let's get down to the meat and potatoes of this question. What is the what really makes all the difference? Well, what really makes all the difference is your glass. That's right. No, not your ass, your glass, your lenses. You're going to want some really good glass. For your ass, no, I'm sorry, for your camera body, you're going to need some good glass. What do I mean by good glass? I mean some top pro line lenses for your camera. Uh, myself, I like to shoot the faster lenses, the 2.8s, you know what I mean? But, I mean, it just depends on what you can afford. That's the main thing is get what you can afford and work from there. It's all going to work for you. There's an old adage that says, hey, 
it's not an old adage, I don't guess, but it's an adage anyway. And it says every single famous photo in history was taken with less camera than what you own today. So if you own a camera or a cell phone, do you own a droid or do you own an iPhone? If so, you probably have more camera in your hand than most of the famous photographs that's been taken in history. Oh, wow. Yes. that Did you get that? Did you comprehend? That's right. And it's not about the camera. The camera's a tool. It's about your vision as an artist. You're the one that's uh, doing the composition. You're the or you're composing the shot. You're getting everything uh, the way you like it. You're getting uh, everything that is your vision. You're, you're you're capturing that moment of your mind that you've envisioned or that you've seen. If you're looking at a landscape and you know, you see that perfect spot for that perfect shot with that perfect light, with that perfect background and the scene, you're the one that's making the image. The camera's just recording a split second in time of what you're envisioning. You are the chef that's driving that range. If you go into a nice restaurant, let me ask you this. You go into a world-class restaurant, let's say New York City. No, 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 let's, let's do even better. Let's say Paris. Let's say Paris. If you get, walk into Paris, into an amazing, beautiful restaurant, and you sit down and you dine on a five-course meal, and they're bringing stuff out, bringing stuff out, bringing stuff out, are you going to be sitting there thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing, amazing food. I need to know what what stove, what kind of commercial range is he using back there to create this meal? Because I need to go out and buy this exact same stove so I can cook exactly like he does. No, nope, don't work that way. Took him years and years and a lot of bad dishes probably to get to where he is today. And that, folks, is the age-old question answered. It takes a lot of work and a lot of practice and a lot of dedication to become a world-class photographer, to become a professional photographer that can actually support yourself doing your photography work. There's no shortcut to it. It's all about hard work like everything else, like dieting. There's no magic pill. You know how that goes? It's all the same. You got to work at it. It takes a lot of work, unfortunately. Not unfortunately, really, because that's what's the fun about photography is it's always changing. It's like a living organism. It's always growing. It's always expanding. And you're always learning because if you don't keep learning, you're going to get left behind. So you always got to be, you know, on your game with photography. And that's what is so intriguing about photography for me. That's why I got into it because I was intrigued to learn how to use a camera in the first place back in the old 35 millimeter full manual camera days. Yes, that's right. All manual. You had to set everything, your aperture, your everything, uh, your ISO, there was dials. So you, you had a, um, as far as helping you out, you basically, there's no auto auto green auto on your old those these old manual DS, DS I mean, uh, these old manual SLR 35 millimeter SLRs you can just set it on auto and go and it would do everything for you is a full manual camera and so basically what you had in there is you had a uh, light meter that would be in your viewfinder and so it would give you a little you know it would tell you when you were right in the light so it would give so you could adjust your aperture and you could adjust things and once your meter was level then you knew you're probably going to get a good exposure 
And that's how it worked back in those days. But these days you can throw it on auto and take some pretty damn good pictures, but you're not going to become a professional and you're not going to ever be happy with yourself, excuse me, until you get out of auto mode and get in the manual and aperture priority and some of those other modes that's on your camera that you may not know what they are. But anyway, if you do, and if you've been to a photographer for a while, hopefully I've answered that question for all of you guys out there. People have been fighting on this on forums ever since I've been on the internet. People have been coming, especially newer photographers or new, what we call newbies, want to get in, you know, just getting in the game. They want to know, oh my God, I got to invest in a camera. What do I want to invest in? Do I want to get a Nikon or do I want to get a Canon? Well, I better get on the internet and ask somebody that knows which one's better. Well, there's the answer. Neither's better. They're both pretty much the equivalent of one another. You're going to take amazing photos if you own one or the other camera brand. You're not going to take better with the other or the other, vice versa. I can pick up a Canon and go uh, take beautiful pictures. I can pick up one of my Nikons and go take beautiful pictures. That's what it's all about is beautiful images, not the camera. Taking beautiful images, composing, making a beautiful image, finding a beautiful image, seeing that moment in time and capturing it. That's what makes a beautiful image, not necessarily the camera. Yeah, you you get up quality. Yeah, you, you go buy a fifty, sixty thousand uh, uh, dollar Hasselblad HD five or H five D, and you know with a, a whole kit, a set of lenses, and yeah, uh, you're going to be able to do put a digital back on those bodies that you know can go up to I believe eighty megapixels if I'm not mistaken, and you know if you're trying to do uh, ad campaigns and blow up. Uh, you know, blow up your images the size of a 15-story building on Sunset Boulevard that you can uh, wallpaper the whole building, yeah, you know, you might want to use a Hasselblad, but if not, then you're not going to need that many megapixels. Which, speaking of megapixels, I have to be honest, I do believe in today's race, Nikon is leading the race by just a fraction, by just a a mouse hair, actually, a, a mouse hair. I don't know. Yeah, a mouse hair, because they do have the Nikon D eight hundred out, and it is rated the best sensor, the best camera sensor in the world. That in the eight hundred E. Yep, that's right. They're even rated higher than the medium formats. The eight, the D eight hundred is. Uh, it's just an amazing camera sensor, and it's thirty six megapixels. With that being said, I don't think you need thirty six megapixels, ninety percent of the time. of the time, 98% of the time for me, I don't need 36 megapixels. What does 36 megapixels mean to me? It means I need a lot of storage space. I need a really fast computer and it's probably going to slow my workflow down tremendously. And for those of us that are photographers and have been photographers for any amount of time, especially us people that are doing this for a living, we know slowing down your workflow is agonizing. We want things to move as fast as we can get them to move. And slowing down our workflow is no fun for anybody, especially the people that are doing the work, which is us. So I honestly believe, and this is my honest opinion, and there's a lot of photographers out there that's probably going to disagree with me, and that's okay, because I don't know it all. I'm just giving you what I think, my opinion. And my opinion is the sweet spot Four megapixels, you get this? You might want to write this down. The sweet spot for megapixels is between 10 and 18 megapixels, anywhere in there. 
Uh, I've got four camera bodies. I have two camera bodies that shoot 12 megapixels, and I have two camera bodies that shoot 16 megapixels. So I'll start at the bottom. My my uh, my smallest camera, my prosumer, my uh, consumer camera, entry line. It's an entry line DSLR, which is a Nikon D5100, and this is a six megapixel, sixteen megapixel body that I predominantly use for shooting video because it has a swivel screen, the swivel LCD screen, which is great for shooting video, and that's mostly what I shoot all my YouTube videos with. If you've seen my YouTube channel, check me out on YouTube, Rav Holly, Rav Photos on YouTube. There you go, uh, and uh, that's what I use that camera for predominantly. Now I did, I have used that. That camera. I used it last Christmas. I used it at the Grove in Hollywood doing some photography, some nighttime photography, and it's got beautiful low light capability. It's just amazing. I actually love the little camera. And listen, you can pick those things up used on eBay and different places for three or $400. You cannot spend your money any better than that if you want to get a decent little camera to get started. Just amazing little camera. On the flip side of that, you're going to have the Canon Rebel. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what all the Canons are. I don't keep up with them like I used to. Maybe the 60D, I think, maybe has a swivel screen. Hey, Canon guys, don't throw fruit at me if I get this wrong. I apologize. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to uh, offend anybody. So if I have, I apologize. I'm just giving you my insight on what I think. And uh, so uh, if you got the little Canon Rebel, gem of a little camera as well. Uh, I'm going with the D5100 because that's what I own and that's what I know. So anyway, that is a 16 megapixel sensor on that camera. Yes, 16 megapixels on a little entry level DSLR D5100. And I think the 5300 is out now, which is maybe 24 megapixels like the D600. But then we're back in that megapixel debate again. And I don't think you need 24 megapixels unless you're doing a lot of cropping or a lot of enlarging. And I know 95% of what I do with my images these days is put them online. And when you put them online, you don't need that many megapixels. Okay, back to the camera bodies. And next in line is going to be a Nikon D90. I have a Nikon D90, which I've actually owned quite some time since 2010. I bought it new. It was the very first camera that came out with video capability. That's right, Canon fans. Nikon is the one that came out with the very first camera that did video, 720p video. And, uh, and it's a great little camera. I've run probably close to a hundred thousand images through that camera and it still works like a champ. Uh, I don't think I've ever really dropped it from a distance or anything, but you know, it's pretty much a plastic body, but it's still just a great camera and it's been through the ringer. That camera has been all over the world. And what did I just say? It's just a little Nikon D90. You can pick them up on eBay probably for three or $400 these days. Amazing little camera. Amazing camera. Uh, I've taken beautiful photos with it. Uh, and the next in line is what replaced the D90 is going to... Oh, and it's a 12 megapixel. The D90 is a 12 megapixel camera, if I didn't say that. Next in line is the Nikon D7000. The Nikon D7000, like the 5100, is a 16 megapixel sensor. And actually, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the 5100 and the 7000 actually have the exact same camera sensor in them. So that's why I got those two cameras, because I actually wanted to use those pair as video cameras. 
if I need a two-shot camera, if I need two shots, if I need two cameras, I can actually set both of them up and get pretty much the exact same uh, video quality and and everything. It should look at pretty close to identical. You shouldn't have to do much in post because it's the same sensor of each camera if you set them up exactly the same way. So that's why I bought those two cameras and they, the 7,000, I just did an engagement photo session with it in Laguna Beach last Sunday. And I love it. It's a great, it's a great photo camera, but it's also a great video camera. And unlike the D5100, it has the, the volume control, uh, your, uh, sound control. So you can actually see where you're, you can monitor your sound and, and see, uh, if you're peaking, you know, you can monitor your sound, which the D5100 doesn't have. And that kind of drives me nuts because you want to be able to monitor your sound. The D5100 basically just has th- three settings, I believe. I believe it has a low setting, a medium setting, and a high setting. So it can be a little bit um, a guessing game on where your uh, sound is. Uh, so uh, I have a wireless mic system that I can hear. And and then, uh, you know, if I'm not using the camera, but if you're using the camera, you know, if, if I really need to, to monitor the sound, I have to go to the D7000. Okay, so you think I'm just pumping up, pumping up, pumping up Nikon, right? That's what it sounds like. Well, that's because I own Nikon. So the next camera we're going to go to that I own is the D700. Yes, the D700. It's, that's a, the D700 is becoming an outdated camera now. Actually, if you're going to get the Right now would probably be the time to drop it. Am I going to drop mine? I doubt it. I like it. I mean, it doesn't have any video, any video at all. Uh, it came out right at the, about the same time as the D90, and it has no video capability at all. But it is pretty much. It's very close to professional body. I don't consider I, pre, I consider it a prosumer body because it doesn't have an integrated built-in battery grip. You have to buy a battery grip separate for it, and to me, that's what qualifies a, a full professional camera. Is the bigger cameras with an integrated body grip? It's a whole system. Uh, you don't have to buy a separate battery grip to put your batteries in to screw onto the bottom of the camera. Other than that, though, it is a very solid, big, heavy camera. It's the only camera that I have that uh, if I don't have a body grip on it, it doesn't feel small. It's still big, bulky in my hand. And I like a big camera. I am. I'm not in this this whole push of photographers that want these little want their digital SLRs made really really small I'm not I'm not on that I'm not on that um I'm not in that fan club I like a big camera uh you know I'm coming from the old days I had an f5 35 millimeter um Nikon and I went to my first uh Nikon digital was a DSLR uh it was a d1 and uh, it was it was a tank and I had a 28 uh God, 28 to 70 millimeter 2.8, which is 82 millimeter around uh, lens. So that combination was ginormous. Did you hear that? Ginormous. So uh, I used to shoot events with that, uh, a lot of MMA events with that camera. And, uh, you know, back in those days when I would walk into an event, and the Canon users back in those days were using their little Canon uh, D30, I believe is what they were. And they were little tiny. They were about the size of a D5100. So that D1 really stood out. I mean, it looked, it looked like a tank. So, uh, yeah, I got a lot of attention and, uh, 
it was an amazing camera that I used probably for five years before it came out, before it become outdated. And my next camera was a D70, a Nikon D70, which was a six megapixel camera. It took, it took great quality images, but the camera itself was a little bit cheesy. So Nikon, that was probably in years past, that was probably the weakest camera Nikon has produced was the D70. I know the D2H I remember when that came out, and it was supposed to be a sports camera because it had a lot of frames per second, but the low light, the ISO, I mean, the, it was horrible in low light. It was so grainy and stuff, uh, but it was a, so that was another weak point with Nikon. But the D70, it took amazing in, images. It just didn't have a very fast frame rate. I think it was like three frames per second, and it was a very plasticky filling body. Uh, so, uh, but it still took great images with six megapixel sensor. Uh, so anyway... Now I've been talking about all the Nikon. Let's get back. Oh, and I forget. I don't know if I forgot to say that the 700 doesn't have any video capability at all. I don't know why Nikon did that. Uh, I guess because it came out about the same time as the D90, if I remember right, and the D90 was the first one with uh, video. So I guess uh, maybe that's what it was. They just hadn't integrated it into the camera system itself yet. I guess they were releasing that in the D90. So the D700 didn't get uh, the video. But, uh, gosh, the D300 came out before the D700, and the D300 has video. Or uh, the D300S, maybe. Maybe it was a firmware update. I don't remember. There's too many cameras, man. This is too many cameras ago. But anyway... I've been talking about Nikon. It's because I own a Nikon, but let's jump on the Canon bandwagon and let me tell you why I would own a Canon. Uh, and if I wanted a Canon, if I was, if I was going to own a Canon, it would be because I was predominantly a video producer because yes, I believe Canon is hands down a better video camera, a better video DSLR than the Nikons. There's not as much aliasing or whatever it's called when you're panning around that you see with the Nikons, uh, with that Canon 5D Mark III, you don't see any of that stuff. It's just cool, calm, clear, and collected. Even with the 7D shot with a 7D, uh, my uh, business partner, uh, that's done so that we, uh, we, uh, co-produce stuff and co-direct stuff together. My partner, Corey, uh, Molina, Corey Cruz Molina, he's a Canon guy, you know, he, he has all Canon, uh, and, uh, we've shot video with his 7D. Uh, he actually had, uh, got a, uh, red one MX at one time and, uh, we shot with that. And now he has the Mark three, uh, yeah, the Mark three. And, He's, he's a video guy. I'm a, I'm a photo guy. He's a video guy. So what does he have? He has Canon. And if I was predominantly, if I was 90% video, 10% uh, photo, I would be Canon. That's just the way it is. I mean, it's true. Uh, another thing with the Nikons, I can tell you on the D7000, D5100, I think predominantly all of them is that maybe the D800, uh, if I've read right, I can't remember, is that you have to get out of live view to change your aperture. That is such a pain in the ass. Come on, Nikon, really? That is, it's so minor. That should be something that they should be able to fix in a firmware update or something. But that is absolutely retarded that you can't change your aperture when you're in live view. You have to get out of live view, change your aperture, go back into live view. 
if you're if you're doing a wedding or if you're shooting a wedding or something like that, that could be critical. You could actually miss a critical moment in a wedding because of that. So Nikon, I'm disappointed in you there. I don't know what you're thinking. Well, I know what you're thinking. You're a film. You know, they're they're into photos. Nikon is all about photos. Canon has been a great video camera maker for years. I remember back in the 90s, it was we were shooting GL1s, Canon GL1s, 3CCD GL1s. Then the GL2 came out. Then Sony came out with a VX1000 that was pretty much it was pretty a uh, big competitor uh, with the Canons, but I actually I had the Sony, but I actually liked the Canons better once I used the Canons. I really liked the Canons, but I knew some people that had the Canons and the uh, tray, the cartridge tray thing messed up in it, and it was like seven hundred dollars to fix that tray mechanism, and the camera was like twelve hundred dollars, so that was kind of ridiculous. And people with the Sony's don't think they ever really had that problem with the VX1000 uh, and the 2000 and you know, whatever and so on. So as far as video cameras, if you're going to be a video producer, I think you should go with Nikon. I mean, it depends on what glass you own. But if I was going to, I do, I'm 90%, I'm 90% photography and 10% video, but I'm trying to change that. I've gotten into the video a lot more, uh, doing my YouTube videos and stuff. So I am producing more video and I'm getting, I'm quoting videos and stuff like that nowadays. So I'm really on the video bandwagon. I'm adding to my video arsenal of equipment and, uh, but I'm still going to use my Nikons. You know, I mean, I do think Canon's a better camera for video, but by no means you, doesn't mean you can't use the Nikons. Uh, they're, they're plenty equivalent. I've got an old Sony VX, uh, no, I'm sorry. It's a Sony HVU 1000 U, a Sony HV 1000 U, which is a huge, big camera. It's almost like a broadcast camera. It's got the little swivel screen on it, uh, LCD, which is so nice when you're doing videos of yourself because you can flip that swivel screen around and actually see yourself and see what the camera's capturing so you can frame yourself in the frame where you want to be, how much headroom you've got, so forth. And, uh, you know, it's a great camera, but, it, you know, it and it was top of the line five, six years ago. It was $2,000 for that camera, and... I can tell you it doesn't take as good a quality. It, it, it records to many DV tapes. It's HD. It's seven. It's 1080i, which is the equivalent of 720p HD. But I can tell you, I used, I've used that camera for years. Now, I do love the all of the control you get with that camera because you can set the volume and it's got, you can control everything. It's amazing. It's got a boom mic built into it. And so it's, it's just a great video camera and it auto focuses is snappy and, and some things you don't get with a DSLR that you have to have a follow focus and, and things like that with a DSLR that you don't have to with a video camera. But the picture quality, I can tell you on the D5100 is hands down light years past that HV1000, HVU1000. It's just, it's a different realm. One, you can get a lot of depth of field when you're using a DSLR. And that's why we all were so excited about the DSLRs, because we could use our prime lenses and our and actually just our photo lenses. So we could set and get some uh, some really beautiful depth cinema-like depth of field. And that's why uh, video has come so far so quick in the last few years. 
because I've tried to get depth of field out of that HU-1000, and it's impossible. You can do it, but it's really a lot of work just to get a shot where you have a lot of bokeh in the background, which you you know is just two seconds on a DSLR. And that's why we've all switched from video cameras to DSLRs, even though we've lost that fast autofocus. But, you know, in the cinema business, they've been using manual manual lenses for, since the beginning of time or since, you know, they started doing this. They don't use autofocus. So if you're going to be a filmmaker, you need to learn how to focus manually anyway is my take on it. So uh, there you go, guys. What do I think? Yeah. If you're going to be a video producer, jump in on the the Canon, band, the Canon bandwagon. If you're going to be a commercial photographer, I would probably go with Nikon. Does it really make any difference if you're going to be a commercial photographer and you go with Canon? Nope. Does it really make any difference if you're going to be a movie pro- or a, a, a video producer and you go with Nikon? Nope. It's whatever. I mean, these cameras are amazing today. I mean, you can take amazing video on your iPhone. I've taken full-on videos, produced a little video, put it on my YouTube channel. It was taken, it was filmed with an iPhone at night, not during the day, at night, pitch black at night in Hollywood. Uh, it's about three to five minutes long. I recorded it on my iPhone 5. I edited it in iMovie on my iPhone 5. I uploaded it to YouTube on my iPhone 5 just to show that I could do it, that it could be done. And it's a great video. I mean, it's for the quality at night. I'm walking around and stuff. I mean, it's not the quality of a high-end video camera or DSLR, but it's a freaking phone, and I did it. And it's very legible. It's as good as what we had 10 years ago in video cameras. Uh, so there you go. I mean, it's it's what we have today in technology-wise. Cameras are amazing. And, you know, cameras, it's, it's all about the person behind the camera. What can you do with it to create magic? What can you do? Um, and that takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of skill. It's not the camera. Uh, I, I hate to break it to you. I really do. But you can't save up six grand and go out and buy a Nikon D4 or D4S and run out there and just start taking amazing images. I mean, there's probably a few people on the earth that that's happened for, that it works. I mean, it's, you know, everybody's got a talent and a lot of it depends on how much God-given talent you have, but most of it's learned. I mean, you, you have an eye for photography, which is what I had, which is what people told me I had. And that's what inspired me like, oh, really? You know, or I would take some pictures and they'd be like, wow, these are really good. And that kind of inspired me as, you know, and I'd heard a couple of times uh, other photographers say, wow, you've really got an eye for photography. And that's what inspired me to actually really get into it but it's taken years. I mean, my first camera was a, a Kodak Pentax K1000, full manual 35 millimeter. Uh, loading the film, rewinding the film, you name it. It was all manual. And today with the cameras, I mean, you can set them on auto and really take some amazing pictures. So there's a lot of things you can do. And, and the learning curve today is nothing compared to what it was when I started. So you can pick up a camera and within a year, you can become a very good very, very good high-end amateur photographer within a year. Uh, I think within a couple of years, you can pretty much, yeah, go pro, which back in the day, I was a 
amateur photographer for seven years. Now that's, that's a pet peeve of mine and it's just, it's just me, you know, uh, not anybody else, but you know, it, it really hurts our market as photographers. When you do see so many people that are just getting into the game, they just bought their camera and they buy their camera and they go out and they shoot their kids or they're shooting around their house or their family's event. And then they run home and they put up a professional photography Facebook page with their name on it. And it's just really bad photography. And, and, and actually, in all actuality, being honest, and I talk to other old season pros about this as well. When we look at photography on the internet, uh, about 80% of it is trash. Uh, you know, I, there's a new photographer that I call the, the social media photographer. And, you know, they just, they're just doing their photography for likes and to be popular in one of the photography groups on Facebook or whatever. And, and a lot of it is crap. You know what I mean? It's just not good photography and it, it ruined, it, it kind of screws the market up because the public, the people that don't do photography don't know what's good and they don't know what's bad. I mean, it's just so much is bad that they don't really know what is really good and what is great anymore. And and believe me, I'm guilty. There was a time when I was a very a great photographer either. I'm not saying I'm still great. I'm still struggling to be a mediocre photographer. But I do take some decent images, and I usually know when I've got some really decent images to, to put out there. And they're usually well beyond the grasp of what an amateur can take and a lot of these amateurs that can't match what I'm taking are billing themselves as professional photographers. I've been a professional photographer for a while, a full-time photographer. So that means I'm using my photography income to make, to pay my living, to, to pay my bills and to make a living. Uh, so, you know, I have some other, I have other income coming in, uh, that's a residual that comes in every month, but predominantly all of my money that I make is for my photography. So, you know, that's, it, I think that should be a stipulation, billing yourself as a professional photographer. I don't care how good your images are. I don't care if you take masterpiece landscape photos. If you're a hobbyist photographer, if you're a part-time photographer, you're not a full-on professional photographer. You're semi-professional, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. I'm not trying to piss anybody off. I know I'm going, I know I'm going to, but it's just opinion. I don't think you should be able to bill yourself as a professional photographer until you're out there shooting and supporting yourself as a photographer. That's when you become a professional photographer. And I don't care if you're struggling that I'm not saying that you have to, you have to support yourself in grandiose, grandioso form. I'm just saying that you have to, I don't care if you're making $500 a month with your photography. But if all you're doing is photography, if 90% of your income is from photography, you're a professional photographer. On the other, on the flip side of that, if you are a trash man and five days a week, you're riding around on the back of a trash, a trash truck and you're emptying trash cans. And then on Saturday and Sunday, you're out there uh, taking pictures you're billing yourself as a full-time professional photographer or as a professional photographer? No, you're a trash man who does photography on the side. You're semi-pro. If you want to go pro, quit the, quit the trash job 
and start shooting photos all the time. And that's a problem with what we have today. Back in the day, when I started, it wasn't like that. People didn't say, oh, you know, if they worked, if there was a car salesman, they didn't say, yeah, you know, no, I'm a photographer. And they go, oh, okay, well, yeah, okay. No, they'd say, no, I'm a car salesman and I sell, I'm a car, sell, I sell cars, but I do photography on the side. That's what I said for years. Uh, I did photography. You know, I didn't even own up to be in photography for a long time because I wasn't even confident in my work back in those days. And when I looked at the old pros or, you know, people that inspired me in Dallas, like Stephen Elliott, Elliott Hendricks, that had been to school for broadcasting and all these different things, I didn't even think, I really didn't think I was you know, I didn't want to be doing them like, or like slapping them in the face by calling myself a professional photographer. I wasn't even on their level. I mean, how big is my ego to think I was as good as they were? Now I'm as good as they are now, but it took years to get there. You know what I mean? It didn't just happen overnight. So that's just something to think about. And that's my own twisted view of professional photographers. Uh, it's, you know, our, our market is watered down today. Uh, you know, I've heard Chase Jarvis say today's the most exciting day. Today's the most exciting day to be a photographer with all the technology we have. And in that point, I really have to agree with him on that point. But on other points is, uh, a lot of us older photographers know is it's a lot tougher market than it is now. And, uh, some of you know that I've, you know, I've basically, I just closed my studio in Long Beach. Uh, I've been, I'd been in Long Beach for seven years. I'd had three different studios. Um, and I had, um, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I had worked other jobs as a photographer. When I first moved to Long Beach, I worked as a bouncer for 40 years, but that wasn't my career. That was my side job because I was a photographer. You know, so that's a difference. If you have a career or, you know, even if you drive like a pizza truck and deliver pizzas and you do photography on the weekend, you're still a pizza driver or a pizza truck driver. You know, it's okay to build yourself as a semi-professional photographer or an amateur. But if you want to go pro, turn in the keys to the pizza truck, pick your camera up and go pro. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. Uh, or as I did, you work part-time jobs or a part-time job. So I was a bouncer at night. I worked my photography. I marketed. I did everything I could with my photography during the day. And then I would work at a bar at night as a bouncer, as a door guy. Uh, and it was a, and I loved it because it was great for meeting people. I mean, it, that, that life gets old after a while, believe me, but it was great for meeting people, mark, or marketing or, uh, not marketing, uh, not so much marketing, but networking. It was great for networking because I met people all the time and they would ask me like, Oh, is this all you do? You just work as a doorman. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm a photographer. I'm a photographer. Uh, but I just do this part time to supplement my income because my photography is not where it needs to be at this point for me to be a full-time photographer. But as soon as he gets to that point, I will leave this job and become a full-time photographer, which I did in 2010, 2010. Yeah. 2010 and 2011 was a kind of a struggle. And then 2012, my career really took off and I had a phenomenal year, uh, in 2012, I made a buttload of money. And then in 2013, it started waning off and I lost, uh, I've, pretty much lost all but one of my corporate clients now. But my one corporate client is keeping me afloat. So that's where I am. And then other, other things that I'm booking. But in 2012, I had, 
four or five clients and between all of them, I mean, I was doing great. You know what I mean? But it's a competitive market out there and, um, I've lost a lot of my clients and losing a lot of my clients is the reason I decided that it was time to close my studio because it just didn't seem feasible anymore to be paying all of that overhead, um, living in a live workspace that I really wasn't happy with the space, uh, in itself. It wasn't, uh, exactly what I wanted as a studio. So, with so many studios popping up in LA now and it's so easy just to rent space, I was like, why in the world am I staying here and keeping this thing open when I can just, you know, when I book a gig, I can just rent space and, and just come into LA, shoot it. And the other part of the time I can be semi-retired out in the desert and, uh, working on a podcast show, working on my YouTube channel and, uh, getting back to what I love. And that is real photography and doing it for the love of it. So what I'm saying there is I'm going to be working on practicing on something that I've never been good at as a photographer. And that is landscape photography. I've never had an eye for landscape photography. And I don't know if it's because I don't love it or it's just out of my realm. I've always been good at shooting people. Um, and, and that always came natural to me. But being being a cityscape photographer or a landscape photographer, it should be easy. But I don't see the the perfect spots to shoot. When I take a shot, it's just like a vanilla snapshot. So I've moved out here and about the last frontier photography for me is landscape photography. I've never really dove in deep into landscape photography. And so I'm going to start seeing if I can practice and take some decent landscape, uh, you know, city or stillscape, you know, take some pictures of some Joshua trees with water in the back and that kind of thing, just to see, just to see if I can do it. And the thing about it is, is I'm not doing it for the money. I'm doing it for the love of photography, which is where I started. I started for the love of photography. I did it because I loved it. It wasn't because of the money. And the problem of being a full-time photographer is at, at a certain point, I think a lot of us lose that. And I know myself, I did. It became, um, an issue of money. I needed money because LA is expensive. Uh, you know, I, with overhead and everything that I had, uh, it wasn't cheap to, to keep my studio open. So <clears throat> I really had to hustle and, you know, but trying to find four to six good paying, uh, photo shoots a month is a stress that I can tell you is, can be overwhelming at times. So I decided to close the studio uh, move out to the desert of Joshua Tree, the city of Joshua Tree, and just concentrate and kind of take a break and relax. And the funny thing about it is, is I spent three months in L.A. with not booking any work at all, nothing hardly. I went pretty much three, three, three straight months with no money, not booking any money, just living off of, uh, you know, what I had saved and what I could scrape together here and there and not booking any work. And my studio, I can tell you, was 1500 a month uh, with the, the bills. Uh, on top of that, the electric, electricity bill was higher than an average residential place because it was a commercial building. So it was a much higher rate. 
So just me there with everything. My electricity bill was never under $140. And then you got phones and, you know, you got all those other bills. Uh, I have four vehicles that I was paying insurance on. So it was, it was just it was just too much. And I wanted a break from it. And that's what I'm doing. And the funny thing about it is, is I've moved out to the desert. I've got plenty of money in the bank now. And I'm doing nothing but booking work. Work, 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 work. I've got... $6,000 worth of work booked for November. I just, just published another sheet today for Verizon with my partner booked me, Corey. Thank, thank you so much, Corey Molina, for looking out for me, buddy. You and your mom, you're so awesome. You guys throw me a little work every time you can, and I really appreciate it. And I do the same for Corey anytime I can with one of my, uh, with my pristine client. Uh, anytime uh, he, uh, that they need video, then, you know, I always... I'm always right there on the phone getting a hold of Corey because we want it to be the best it can be. And I know when Corey comes in on a, on a joint venture, we're going to create some magic with it. So I always get a hold of Corey and, and try to return the favor. So, and that's the way it works. That's just kind of the way it works. Um, so I'm enjoying the desert. Actually, I really am enjoying the desert. I actually grew up in West Texas. Um, I don't know if some of you know West Texas, uh, Lubbock. I grew up outside of Lubbock and uh, in Amarillo, Lubbock, all through that area. But my dad still lives at Denver City, outside of Denver City, Texas, which is way out in the boonies. It's a desert climate, and man, it's I hated it when I was a kid. And it's just uh, it's just not a pretty landscape. And uh, so I was really worried when I moved to Joshua Tree because I'd driven out here. And, and it's a desert climate as well. But, man, the more I'm out here, the more I fall in love with just the scenery, everything. It's just something about this place out here. It's just a magical little tranquil place. Um, it's just it's hard to explain. You know, there's why so many people. People come from all over the world to visit Joshua Tree, California. You know, I mean, you two named an album one of their most famous albums after it called the jo- the Joshua Tree. So there's just something about this place. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's the mountains or what. I can tell you, I rode my Harley down to Palm Springs last night or yesterday. I was in Palm Springs, and l- I was looking at places in Palm Springs, and I'm so glad I didn't move down there because I I drove down there on my I rode down there on my motorcycle and the wind was blowing like 70 miles an hour. I couldn't believe it. Like it was like blowing me off the side of the road. There was like dirt drifts coming. I had dirt in my ears when I got home. There was so much dirt. It was ridiculous. So, um, yeah, that's what I'm doing. And, uh, that's what I'm doing with my life. And I'm really, uh, excited about this podcast. This is the first one. Uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be getting some guests on here. That's going to be a, that's going to be a future endeavor and a future goal is I want to get guests on here and, and really produce something that hopefully you guys will enjoy listening to. Uh, I plan on talking a lot about photography. Uh, that's what I know. It's my, that's what I live and breathe is photography. I've been doing it for so long. It's like, uh, it's all I know. And so, uh, it's what I love and, and I'll be talking about gear. If you have any questions, please email me at ravholly at gmail.com. Ask anything you'd like to know about gear. I'll try to get back to you. I get a lot of messages on Facebook, so I can't always, I don't always get them right away. I don't always get through them. 
I can tell you at one time I had 500, I have five, I still do. I have 500 and something messages on Facebook and I had 200 and something that wasn't read. And I spent like two or three days going through them and deleting them and trying to read them and, and get, getting rid of them. So if you send me a message to the Facebook messenger, I may not, I might not apply, uh, reply to you right away. So if you have something really really pending important you think send me an email at ravholly at gmail.com and uh, I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can if you have any ideas for any future podcast or uh, you know anything you would like to know anything you would like to ask that you think would be good on an episode of it's in the image let me know I'd be glad to answer that if I could if I have uh, if I have any expertise on it at all and if not I'll just wing it and give you my uh, uneducated retarded opinion Oh, shouldn't have said retarded. Sorry about that. Uh, anyway, explain that. Uh, so yeah, uh, I really plan on uh, working the podcast. I hope to bring it a video cast. So I'm going to be hooking some cameras up. I have some more equipment ordered so I can actually hook the cameras up and uh, start recording and doing a video cast as well of log. Uh, so you can just, if you want to just download the podcast, the sound, or if you want to watch it on YouTube, you'll be able to do either. And I'm really excited about the podcast. Uh, it's been a long time. I've been wanting to do a podcast for about four years, but there you go. When I was in LA and I was working so hard and I was hustling so hard to be able to, uh, just pay my bills and, uh, you know, be able to eat a couple of times a day, at least once a day. People that know me know that I don't always eat every day, once a day. But uh, yeah, I was just having to hustle so much that like all of these side projects that I wanted to do so bad that I just never could do. Like the podcast was because I was, you know, overwhelmed with trying to uh, make a living. So now I have time. So that's what I'm going to be dedicating a lot of time to the podcast, a lot of time to the YouTube channel and just doing stuff that I enjoy and uh, which is going to be a different it's going to be fun for me uh, and I'm really looking forward to it and I hope you enjoy the podcast and uh, hopefully I can uh, hit on some more of these um, you know some more of these hot button topic questions that you guys have like which is better Nikon or Canon you know I've been seeing that on forums ever since before social media before the old MySpace of 2004 I've been you know, it was back in the day uh, when I when in the in the dawn of the internet, some of the very first uh, websites for photographers was Fred Medina, I believe, or Molina, Fred Medina, I think. That was one, and, and these are forums. These were web forums, which you don't really see anymore. I'm still on some Land Rover web forums, but. Back in the day before social media, the web forums was where it was at. So we all, all as photographers, we all hung out on web on web forums. So the ones I, the sites I used to visit all the time, I used to shoot sports. So I was always on SportsShooter.com. I think I still have a profile on there, and I literally, <laughs> excuse me, I literally haven't been on SportsShooter.com in probably, gosh, eight years. Since probably 2008, 2007, 2008, somewhere in there, I haven't really visited sportshooter.com. And I used to live on that site every day. Um, but yeah, I haven't been on sportshooter. Uh, one of the, uh, I wanted, I was really specializing in glamour photography back in these days. So uh, one, of the, one of the sites I really did like was Garage Glamour, which was uh, Ronaldo Gomez, I believe, or 
Oh, I could be messing up his name. I believe he owns Garage Glamour out in San Antonio, Texas. And I was in Dallas at that time, so I loved Garage Glamour. He's a great glamour photographer, and he was one of the first guys that I seen doing workshops who actually started giving away a lot of trade secrets, uh, telling you different things that you could do for your glamour photography. I remember there was one that he did where he took like a, he would even give you the number of the silt stocking and uh, you could go down and, and buy a woman's stocking at the set, you know, they come in a set and he, and he even give you all the directions, the number, the, the stocking that you needed for the right black stocking. And you could put it over your lens. So you could put it, uh, in between the lens and the filter or the, yeah, the lens and the filter on your, you could screw the filter over the stocking and it would give you this beautiful, smoky, dark glamour images. And that was one of his trade secrets, you know, that, um, he used to give away on his forum and, and he had, a, and that's an amazing website and I'm sure it's probably still there. And that's another website I haven't been to in years. And I used to be on that forum every day and then we had lone star digital that was a one lone star digital.net or.com that was a texas site it was a review site then you've we all know or anybody that's been in photography anytime you've got a uh, ken rockwell which i know fro uh mr fro out there from fro knows photos he can't stand uh, but Ken's been around for years and years. When I first started getting on the net and uh, looking at photography stuff, Ken's stuff was like the only thing out there. He was the only one that was really doing a lot of photography views on equipment. He was it. So you had Ken Rockwell and then you had DP Preview. So basically I would uh, read deep and, and DP Previews was page after page of technical jargon. And then I would read all the technical jargon and then I would go get Ken's perspective on, you know, just, just layman's terms. I mean, he would just throw it out there, you know, with his, with kind of like I'm doing here with just his opinion on what, what he thought of a piece of uh, gear. And uh, Ken is taking a lot of flack these days because there are a lot of fairly well educated photographers out there. And Ken is another semi-pro photographer. He's an engineer by trade, from what I understand. He's not actually a full-time photographer, but he's been doing uh, photography gear reviews ever since I can remember. Back in the 90s, probably, I want to say the first time I seen his website was probably 96 or 97, maybe even earlier. I don't even remember. It was that long ago. I was using an old strobe pack system back in those days. Two lights, uh, I can't even remember what the thing was called. Um, gosh, I can't remember what it was called. But, yeah, so I was using an old pack system back in those days with two umbrella lights. And, and uh, I can't think of the name of the system I had. I know I, I wanted Speedatron, uh, the black line system. or you know, I didn't really like the brown line, but the Speedatron. But I couldn't afford that. That was way over my head. But that's what I wanted back in those days. Uh, but I had the... The, the Norton or Novel or something like that. It was a little two-light combo that you could get. It was a 400-watt pack, I think. And, yeah, it was, it was a pretty hokey. But I read the review on Ken's site and Novatron. That's what it was, Novatron. And uh, I read the uh, review on Ken's site, and he, he had the same thing, or he had it. So I thought, well, it's got to be great. And uh, I bought it. So I learned right away that, kind of take Ken's word for with a grain of salt, but he does give some good perspective on gear. So, um, 
of, of his opinion of gear. If you want more technical stuff, then you need to go to like DP preview or something like that. It, Cause they really, they really test the gear and, and tell you exactly what it's going to do. And Ken says a lot of things that kind of come out of left field. That's not right on point. So, and he's taking a lot of flack from that these days. So, uh, but back in those days, Ken was the only one out there. Now there's thousands, thousands of people doing, uh, gear reviews uh you can go to youtube and it's just gear review after gear review after gear review on everything so it's changed a lot uh ken's market's gotten a lot more saturated as well because back in the day he was the only one doing gear reviews that i can remember and then back in the day we had one model place now we have uh, uh now we have uh model mayhem but I mean, one model place is still out there, but there was a time before uh, model mayhem that one model place was actually a beautifully well-designed, beautiful site that I actually used a lot. And, uh, I know a lot of people use, uh, model mayhem, but it's just, it's never been aesthetically pleasing to me. Like one model place was at one time, but the problem with one model place is they over-designed it. They did like MySpace. They killed the site by putting too many bells and whistles, making it too complicated, screwing with the galleries, and it just got where it just didn't flow right. And so that's when I canceled my membership for one model place. I was never a huge fan of Model Mayhem, but I actually was a VIP member for a long time. I've actually been signed up on Model Mayhem since, I think, April of 2006. And um, I've never been a huge fan of it. It's just been kind of always a hokey, cheesy side. And they've got some stupid rules, like like uh, they flag one of my photos for this This guy was completely wearing a freaking bikini. It's like we shot it uh, on the beach in Laguna Beach, in a public beach, with the, the lifeguards and the beach police standing right there watching the photo shoot. And on Model Mayhem, it's flagged for adult content or not safe for work which is ridiculous so if that site died tomorrow i wouldn't care because i've never really cared for model mayhem that much it's ridiculous it's kind of stupid and you get a lot of the bottom dwellers that hang out on that site i've never booked a whole bunch of great work on model mayhem um so but i'm still on there because i try to stay on try to stay on all of them but we sure could use another social media for just photographers it would be nice because i do miss that about the forums is it was just photographers on there uh when you've got social media like twitter and facebook and all of these you know instagram i mean you're it's you're in the mix of everybody else so it's not really um dedicated just to photography but you you know you see them you see all of us out there on these social media things but it's not just a platform for photography but anyway i hope i've answered your question on which camera is better nikon or canon Uh, i'm sure you're still scratching your head but uh, for the most part i think they're totally equal you know it just depends on which is your preference which you want to invest in i mean if you want to get in the nuts and bolts of it it's all about the glass it's all about the lenses it's more about the lenses than it is about the camera you can take a little uh cheap d5100 or a canon rebel put a piece of l glass on that or a fast uh nikkor 24 to 70 millimeter 2.8 and take beautiful pictures i would rather have a nikon d5100 on it with a nikkor 24 to 70 millimeter 2.8 than a Nikon D4S with a 55 to, what is it, a 55 to 85 millimeter 3.5 to 5.6 kit lens that comes on a lot of the cameras. 
Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take that pristine piece of glass any day for my photos. You take the D4 with the uh, kit lens, uh, and that's kind of the way it is. You know, that's the way it, that's the way it runs for me. So I hope you've enjoyed this uh, first episode of Images Everything. Like I said, hopefully in the future we'll be bringing some guest spots and some guests on here to talk about uh, photography. Uh, I'm hopefully going to be keeping these right now with no guests and just me blabbing and just running on. Um, I'm going to be trying to keep these to an hour, right in an hour, maybe give or take five minutes, but I'm trying, not going to try to go over more than, than an hour. So... Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this first episode of Images Everything. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what day yet we're going to make a, make official for doing my podcast and my vlog, but uh, I'm trying to nail that down. It's Friday now, but I don't think Friday's going to be the right day, but it may be. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. It's probably going to be Wednesday or Thursday, I'm thinking, though, but... Um, uh, this is the first episode, uh, and I just want to thank everybody for listening, and... Uh, we will uh, see you next episode. Can't promise you exactly when that's going to be out, but uh, this is going to conclude the uh, first episode of Images Everything. Have a great day, guys. Thank you again so much for listening. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. I know a bunch of you probably hated it because I was just rambling, but uh, if if you have any questions, again, email me at ravholly.com. Uh, ravholly at gmail.com please check out my website to see if you think I'm uh, even qualified to be talking about photography I hope you think I am I try I, I, I hope I am I'm trying to be anyway so check out my website at ravholly.com that's r-a-v-h-o-l-l-y dot com you can also check me out my youtube channel you can check me out on instagram ravholly twitter ravholly follow me on twitter send me a tweet tell me you that you you uh, heard the show and i'll be sure to follow you back and tweet you back so anyway that's going to conclude this episode of images everything have a great day guys bye-bye